You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, often when children are born, the relatives speculate, don't they? They say, oh, will he follow in his father's footsteps? Will she be like her mum? But there's no speculation about this child, none at all. His name will be Jesus. He is named the Son of the Most High. He is the promised eternal king, born to reign forever. It's as if Gabriel's words here are a Christmas present, loaded up with Old Testament promises, and we're supposed to unwrap them and see what they are. First of all, the promise that Jesus will be great. He will be great. Do you remember last week, we saw that John the Baptist, chapter 115, will be great in the sight of the Lord, but this child will be simply great. It's an echo of a promise that made by the prophet Micah about a ruler who would come from the town of Bethlehem. The words are on the screen. Are they on the screen, Rich? Oh, it's not, okay, fine. Let me read it. Micah chapter 5, verse 4. He will stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely because he will surely become great throughout the earth. This shepherd king will be great verse 32, but also the son of the Most High. That is a regal title. It's a bit like his majesty or his excellency. And it links with what Gabriel says next. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you remember in that second reading from 2 Samuel 7 that uh, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Nathan to David David wants to build a house for God's name and Nathan, and God says, no, you're not going to do that. One of your sons will do that. And then that promise goes beyond Solomon who's going to build the temple. And 2 Samuel 7.33, it says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's, sorry, that's, sorry, that's Luke chapter 133, which is from 2 Samuel 7.16. Your house and your kingdom shall be made secure for me Before me forever, your throne shall be established forever. And now Jesus is coming to fulfill that promise given to to David to build a house for the Lord. Not a house made of stones, but a house made of living stones, a living temple. It is a kingdom over which he will rule forever. That thousand-year promise that God had given to David, that the Israelites had been waiting for a thousand years for, an eternal Davidic Messiah, Gabriel says it's happening now. It's nearly 70 years since a young Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth II. And next year, many of us are looking forward to a double bank holiday weekend. Most of us here, I suspect, have never known any other monarch. Manchester United have just appointed their sixth manager in about six years since Alex Ferguson's reign ended. He'd been manager for 27 No man or woman can ever reign forever. Not so with Jesus. He didn't have to wait to become king like Queen Elizabeth did. He was born as the king. He'll never need to retire like Ferguson had to retire. He will reign forever. It's the who of Christmas. Jesus, the promised eternal king, born to reign forever. Now perhaps we can begin to think, How should Christmas change me if it's about a king who reigns forever? 
But before we really start to apply that lesson, let's uh, continue with this staggering angelic announcement because Mary's got a question to ask. So do we. The how of Christmas. Second, Jesus miraculously born to a virgin to be the second Adam. Jesus miraculously born to a virgin to be the second Adam. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? You see, Mary's not naive. She's been to sex education lessons at school. She understands that Gabriel is not talking about Joseph. He's talking about a miracle. Mary can't conceive if she hasn't literally known a man. Gabriel's answer confirms that a miracle is on the way. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That word overshadow, if we were to read on in Luke's Gospel, it's the same word that describes what happens. You know when um, three disciples are up the mountain with Jesus and he's transfigured before them and, and that the cloud overshadows them, covers them. God's glorious presence breaks onto that mountain and and Gabriel is saying, God's glorious presence is going to break into your life, Mary. He is going to act in awesome creative power to bring about Jesus' birth. Now, that is not to say that God created Jesus at his conception. Of course not. He's not a creature like you and me. We rightly say in one of our creeds of Jesus, he is the only begotten son of God, begotten of the father before all worlds, worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. He's not a creature. But just as God brought human life out of nothing from the dust of the earth, God, so God can create Jesus' human life in the womb of a virgin. He doesn't need to bring his son into the world in the same way that every other child is born into the world. Why did he do it like that? Why did he choose to do it like that? Have you ever wondered that? Well, partly it's because special children in Scripture always have special births. Isaac, the promised child, born to 90-year-old Sarah. Samson, the great prophet, born to Baron Manoah's wife. Samuel, the saviour from the Philistines, born to neglected, childless Hannah. And most recently, John the Baptist, soon to be aged, born to the soon to be, uh, soon to be born to the aged, unable to conceive Elizabeth. So this virgin birth of Jesus sets him apart as a special child, unlike any other special child. He's in a different league. But there's more theological weight to the virgin birth than just specialness. It also reminds us that God entered completely into our human experience. From the moment of conception, God identified with us, which as an aside, albeit an important one, reminds us of the sanctity of all human life, including life from conception in the womb. And yet that is not either Gabriel's main point. He says that Jesus will be called holy, called the Son of God. Now, at first, as I was studying this, I was thinking, oh, this is talking about Jesus' deity. So the first bit um, is talking about Jesus' humanity, and this bit is talking about his deity. And there might be something in that. But actually, I think this name, um, the Son of God, is actually another reference to his humanity. And let let me show you why. So just look over the page uh, to Luke chapter 3. And um, right at the bottom, page 1029, we get to the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus' family tree. Uh, Verse 23 of chapter 3. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph over the page. Lots and lots and lots of names. 
And then all the way down to verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You know, Luke traces his genealogy, his family tree of Jesus, the opposite way round to Matthew. Matthew starts at Adam and runs all the way down to Jesus. Luke starts at Jesus and runs all the way up to Adam. Uh, Sorry, Matthew starts at Abraham, goes down to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way up to Adam. In other words, he's saying Jesus is the second Adam. He is the new head of humanity. So the virgin birth is not God bypassing sex to ensure that his son is sinless. The Bible never suggests that that sin is some sort of sexually transmitted disease, nor does it ever um, indicate an immaculate conception for Mary, nor does it ever say that she's some sort of co-saviour with Jesus. All those things are wrong. But the virgin birth does declare that God stepped into the tragic history of humanity. His son was born to disrupt and interrupt and break the inescapable bondage to sin and death and corruption that we all inherit as children of Adam. Jesus identifies with us and he offers us a new moral history to the human race. It is what Paul speaks of famously in Romans chapter 5. He says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that is Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that is the life and death of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus will be born, verse 35, the Son of God. Yes, that means incarnate, God with skin on God. But that is not Gabriel's main headline. The main point is the how of Christmas. Jesus miraculously born to a virgin to be the second Adam. He is uniquely special. He's the head of a new, redeemed human race. Now, if that is hard for us to get our heads around, don't worry, it was hard for Mary to get her head around too. But she really can believe it. Back in chapter 1, the angel says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Mary doesn't ask for proof, like Zechariah did, but she gets some anyway. It is the latest in a long line of God stepping into the lives of undeserving women to bring his special saving children into the world. Sarah, Manoah's wife, Hannah, Elizabeth, and now Mary's child, Jesus. Except Jesus' birth will top all of those other miracles. Do you remember um, back in Genesis when Abraham and Sarah are there by the tent and Abraham is talking to the angels and Sarah's listening away in the tent and and, uh, she laughs to herself because God says that next year she's going to have a child and the angel says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And now another angel says to Elizabeth, for no word from God will ever fail. It is an astounding, awesome, history-changing miracle And we will never get our heads around it fully. But we can believe that it happened. Because if God is all-powerful, and let's face it, God must be all-powerful if we're going to call him God. Otherwise, it's not worth calling him God, is it? There's nothing he cannot do. Jesus miraculously born to a virgin to be the second Adam. What does all that mean for you and me? Well, what was the question we started with? Does Christmas change your life? Just take a look at how Christmas changed Mary's life. I love this. 
138. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now I think that as Bible-believing Protestants, we often get very nervous about Mary. We think, I don't want to make the same mistake about Mary that other Christians make about Mary. But God clearly holds her up as this brilliant example of faith. He says, take a look at her. See, here is a woman who understands that God has supreme authority over her life. She doesn't assert her right to run her life her own way. She basically says, your kingdom come in me and through me. And in the next episode, Elizabeth will speak more truth than she realizes when she says, blessed are you among women, the mother of my Lord. Mary was uniquely privileged. And yet she's also just like us. Christmas is about to turn her life, her world, upside down. But she still trusts the Lord, doesn't she? And she gives her life to him. How can she do that? How could she sit there and think, my life is going to change beyond recognition, and yet I'm just going to, I'm going to do what God wants? How could she do that? Surely it is because of those words the angel said, the Lord is with you. See, if the Lord is with her, she's got nothing to fear. And if the Lord is with you or me, I've got nothing to fear either. Sometimes we wish that the good things could go on forever. Sometimes we're in the middle of Christmas thinking, if only it could go on forever. But you know, the best thing about Christmas is that, it, is that the news of Christmas really does go on forever. The world needs a king like the one promised by the prophet Micah, a shepherd who will shepherd his people with gentleness and grace and justice and and mercy. And Jesus is that king. The the world needs a king who will build a, a temple not made of stones but of people. Jesus is the promised eternal king born to reign forever. The world needs a second Adam. It needs a new head of humanity, someone without sin, someone to break the bondage of sin and death that has gripped us for too long, and Jesus is that new man. We need Jesus, miraculously born to a virgin, born to be the second Adam. You see, Gabriel doesn't write the announcement of Jesus' birth in a newspaper. He declares it to this woman, and it's written down to us to read all these years later. It's the birth announcement to end all birth announcements. It declares that that God is moving towards us in grace in the person of his son. Jesus' rule over the world, Jesus' representation of us will never end. Christmas says the Lord is with you. And so I wonder if this morning we might say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. Do with me whatever you please. Jesus, your kingdom come. Because that is how Christmas is meant to change us. Has Christmas changed you yet? Should we bow our heads and pray? Our Father, we thank you so much that you tell us what Christmas is about. And uh, we, we just get so distracted by so many things. And we pray that this Advent season, we might remember that it is about Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, a King who reigns forever, a new head of humanity. We pray that we might um, worship and adore him 
And uh, we pray that you would give us grace to be able to say, I'm the Lord's servant. I want to live for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.